0: chapter 20. Our treatment this evening is with the third commandment. That's in verse 7 regarding the name, uh, the name of the Lord. Uh, But before then I'll I'll read verses 1 through 6 as well as 7 for context. Hear now the word of the Lord. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods. Before me, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a zealous God, or jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, you are sovereign and you have absolute right to command us and to demand of us obedience, perfect obedience. And uh, Lord, that end, we pray that you would instruct us as uh, this commandment is exceedingly broad, it's exceedingly deep, and many of us have not considered what you are asking us, what you are asking of us as our reasonable service to you of worship. So now, Lord, again, open your heavens, send forth your spirit, and uh, Lord, may you water your church, anoint your servants, and that we may, uh, by your blessing, bring forth the fruit, the fruit of praise to our God, which is delightful to you and is all to your glory in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. When I first uh, became friends with Dr. Piper, I, I heard him say something rather than remarkable, which I did not understand. I would not understand for for some time, he said uh, and volunteered, I don't even know <laughs> I don't know what prompted him to say this, but he said, you know, the third commandment is, is probably the, the most difficult of all commandments to keep and I was stunned by that because I, in my reading and in my consideration I, the way I understood the tenth commandment, any slight movement uh, of sin in our, in our thoughts or our affections and our desires, any inordinate uh, desire and any, any uh, malcontentedness <laughs> you know, with our station in life uh, is, uh, is a breach of the Ten Commandments. It's exceedingly broad. It's the one that really, uh, that really convicted the Apostle Paul. He admits so in his letter to the Romans. So when I heard Dr. Piper say that the Third Commandment was uh, in his opinion, the one that is most difficult to keep and the one that is therefore uh, most often breached. I, I didn't offer any retort, but I remembered that comment, and later I would study. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I agree with them, but maybe you'll be the judges yourself this evening uh, as to what is meant by here at least our best understanding of the, Refor- the Reformed Church, the Reformed faith, what is involved in keeping the third commandment all right. Uh, the context, of course, is the covenant with Israel and Sinai, right? We're marching through the desert. We're parked at Horeb. The Ten Commandments are here, and they are a unity. We're going to begin to see more and more how they are interwoven. Uh, the commandments are chiseled in stone, but it's almost as if the fabric of fibers of, uh, of wool and, and that they intersect. They, they, they intersect. They're all related um, back and forth, one to another. So it's one unit uh, with separate commandments. And, uh, and there are two tables. Most, most Reformed do regard the first table as that, concerning our duties uh, regarding God, and the second regarding God's creature. And, of course, if we hurt God's creature, we sin against God because that creature is God's. All sins are against God, but some are more directly against God And uh, the first table are sins that are more directly against God. And since they are more directly against God, they are all the more heinous. When uh, a person uh, sins and harms another person, uh, that is heinous. And it, it could be a crime. It could be a capital offense. Uh, but uh, many, many murders occur uh, in Houston, and many, many murders o- occur in major cities throughout the United States. And for the most part, they're not reported, they're not given a great amount of, de- uh, of depth of, of coverage in the news. But when uh, a very important, and especially a, a, a good person who is very useful to the nation, one who has served well, is injured by some madman, and then the whole nation stops because that is a grievous offense against a father in the country. Well, my friends, when we sin against God in the first table, it is a more heinous offense, and yet we don't feel it because when we sin against our neighbor, up come the lawyers and up come the complaints uh, of other friends and, and we feel the pinch of it right away. But when we sin against God, he is, he is slow anger. He, and He forbears... But that doesn't mean at all that your sins are, are covered or are, uh, forgiven uh, or that he is pleased with you just because he hasn't disciplined you. And that's the difficulty. And, but our exercise is to really know the first table of the law as, as God's children who are spiritual. Who relate as spiritual men and women to spiritual things. And then we'll be able to gauge just how we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin against God, but in this third commandment especially, because the Holy Spirit is near to His creation, near to the revelation of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who primarily shines the light of God's glory. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't shine the light on Himself. He shines the light. And so while the Holy Spirit is hoping to glorify God, the the breakers of the third commandment are are inadvertently or advertently wanting to cast as much darkness and as much confusion and uh, dishonor upon the holy name. It is really a grieving of God, and especially, I think, God the Holy Spirit, the third commandment uh, here must be uh, understood as being commanded negatively. That is to say, uh, negative commandments mean that there is really never a time when you are excused and you are now uh, allowed to profane the Lord's name. Uh, positive commandments are applicable when they suit uh, in time, such as remember the Sabbath day. You're not, you don't have to remember the Sabbath day when it's not the Sabbath day. But you will need to remember the Sabbath day when it is the Sabbath day. And so a a positive commandment is applicable uh, when it suits. The proposition here is this, that Jehovah, Jehovah God is holy, all that relates to Him, and all that relates to His revelation uh, of His person, uh, of His will, uh, and all of His works, all of that must never be profaned or regarded as common. Right, I'll explain this. Um, here's the first point. How many points do I have tonight? we got two points. They're rather lengthy. I'm not going to be very tedious. This information may be... This information... This, this teaching... This teaching may be new to some of you. you might want to review the notes or, or again, study this video. I lament greatly how little interest there is today in the moral law and even in our own church and the Sunday attendance. It, it, is, a, it, is, a, it is a lamentation that needs to be thrown up to God. Because I, I know that our people don't know this teaching. I just know it. You must reverence that is to say, respect or give equitable weight. Okay, you must reverence. That is, give suitable weight to everything that signifies, or reveals, or stands for Jehovah's glory. This means that the third commandment requires specific duties on our part. And in summary, and in general, it's not it's it's the not using of the glorious name of Jehovah. In vain. Now you know the name of Jehovah. That's He has revealed that name Himself. We did not give give Him that name. In the burning bush, He announced His name, "I am." All right. Uh, and only God can name Himself because only God only know only God knows who and what He is. For many centuries, the Church in the New Testament uh, did not really un- they weren't sure if anyone could really define what God was. So, anyway, that's a separate, that's a separate lecture. Uh, glory means heavy and vain means light or, or worthless, something trite, uh, inconsequential, uh, of, of, of no regard, of little regard and no regard. To, to chiefly then, uh, to glorify and, uh, and, and honor his name, that's th- that's the revelation of his essence, and the Jews, I think, and my instructor in the Hebrew language thinks they became superstitious in not pronouncing it. I mean, if the Lord, <laughs> if the Lord has revealed his name, it must be for the reason that our minds would process it. Maybe our lips should utter what's on our minds. Come on! But they were so afraid. They were. They were so. Um, they so revered and put so much weight on the name of the Lord that they, they said, Well, if we don't pronounce it, we're not going to be in jeopardy of breaking this commandment. Well, there's more to this commandment than the, the mere uh, blasphemous use of the Lord's name. Okay, the, the, the Jews never said Yahweh or Jehovah, and that's why, that's why today we don't, we're not sure of the pronunciation. You got strands of Judaism, the Shephardic strain, you got the others, and they, they have different kinds of. Uh, Of pronunciations and everything, okay. But they used Lord or they used Adonai. Now this commandment also prohibits the vain use of any other of His names. The Lord has many names in Scripture. In fact, I'll just erase ahead in my notes and I'll say that almost anything you can name in creation has something of God in it. Okay, you could say. God is like, children, you can you can take note on this. You can say, Pastor Lou said that God is God is like an elephant. Oh, how is he like an elephant? Well, he's strong, he's mighty, he he, uh, he cares for his his young. And so, in that sense, God is like an elephant. But at the same time, you have to say, and at the very same breath, if you have the same breath the kid, hold your breath that long, children, you, you can say, but God is absolutely not like an elephant. Because an elephant is although big, he's not infinite. And although elephants have great memories, they don't remember everything. And neither do they always live unto uh, eternity. So he is not like an elephant at all. And so all things remind us of God, and yet not any one thing is sufficient to, to really define his person or to, to compare him to anything. And, both, and we hold both of those things in tension. It's God is the ultimate mystery. He's not a teaching, he's not an idea, he's a mysterious, incomprehensible being. And so when you, when you consider that he's the source of all life, from whom and through whom and to whom all things come, then you, you have to realize, just as you cannot pick up an elephant and throw him across the room, because he's no light thing, you're not going to be able to take the name of the, Lord's, uh, of the Lord in vain and get away with it without straining your spiritual back and throwing yourself out spiritually. It's a heinous thing. It's a heinous thing to take the name of the Lord in vain. So any, any of Jehovah's titles, such as Lord or Christ, Savior, people say, oh, Lordy, Lordy. No, forgive me, I'm going to have to give you some examples just so you understand the, the perversity and the perversiveness Pervasiveness of our breach of this of this commandment. Any of God's of Jehovah's titles must be respected along with His names, Adonai, El, or God. There's many. There's entire posters made of all the names of God. We could spend an hour there just on the names of God. But you've got those those lists and other Bible studies and handbooks, Bible handbooks. Also His attributes. The Lord's attributes. Are the Lord? If the Lord is if, is is God lovely, then God is love. And uh, is God merciful? Well, that's a holy attribute. So you 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 got to be careful when you say mercy me or oh my goodness. What are you saying now? I, I want to say this. I don't I don't want to get too. Um, I, I don't want I I to get too pharisaical and too, and, and too uh, mechanical here. It's not the words themselves. If you have a trained parrot and he learns to say, oh my God, the parrot's not sing, sinning. It's not the words. Uh, this is not like in sorcery. It's not a magic incantation that offends God. It's the intent of your heart. Okay? So, I, I, and when we get to talking about clipped oaths, when we say, geez, or gee whiz, or dadgummit, and all that. Now, the, the sound of that is not, is not what bothers God. What bothers God is either what you mean by it, by substituting those expressions, or, my friend, the fact that you mean nothing by uttering words out of your mouth and as a a creature in God's image, what are you doing expressing vain things that mean nothing? By every word you will be judged. And I would think that by every sound of every syllable you make. And if you're just talking nonsense, are you saying that you're a creature created for nonsense? All right, let's just think about these things. The third commandment also uh, has us respecting his ordinances. Now these are just the means by which God uh, reveals himself. Where does God reveal himself? I don't know if you've been following along in our treatment of when I preached through Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and also Matthew. If if you're really watching very carefully, the Lord loves to work on the Sabbath. <laughs> he, lo- he loves. It's almost, like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, almost, it's almost like a bad dog who... Uh, Wants to see if he can get away with something in the backyard, you know? And so he purposely does something to chafe, chafe the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, just, he loves to do good. And he capitalizes on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath primarily, because that's the day where God comes close to his people and does the maximum good. And so if you abuse the Sabbath day, you're not, you're not using it for the intention, the means by, for which God gave it to you. I can tell you right now, a lot of people are watching TV. I don't know what I, I don't know what people are doing, but it better be something very healthy uh, for their soul, because this is the chief market day of the soul. And for you, uh, even in this third commandment, to uh, disregard what God considers holy his Sabbaths is a profanation of an ordinance. And already you break into fourth commandment, even though we're not even studying it yet. The ordinance is Sabbath is an ordinance. Preaching is an ordinance. Oh man, it's so easy. You know, look, we love to critique. You know, we're like the French reviewer. Every Frenchman is a crit- is a critic. He goes into the Louvre. Ah, I don't like the painting. No oh, way, it's not a good painting. You know, everybody loves a good sermon. Everybody loves to critique a bad one. Nevertheless, the ordinance itself is holy and uh, just review what we preached this morning, okay? The sacraments are holy. You can't profane them. You can't just come and partake of the Lord's Supper unpreparedly, without repentance, without examining selves. Judge yourself to see if you are in the Lord. And judge yourself to see if you really are in communion with God, at peace with God and and with one another. And if we're at war with one another, and divisions, and and reviling, and envious of one another, hating one another, and we take this, it's a profaning of the Lord's sacrament. It's a profaning of His name. He's placed His name here, as in baptism, and uh, we break the third commandment. And the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes His name in vain, especially, especially in His most important means of grace, the Sabbath, Holy Communion, preaching, baptism. We profane our baptism whenever we sin. Boy, we sin a lot. But in in baptism we vow to be the Lord's. We, We vow to fight Satan, the world and the flesh to the very end because we're God's. We give up our lives. We give up our names and we take on his name. That's baptism. Well, people just get, well, you know, they got like baptized. Oh, okay, you know, they don't understand that with every sin is a violation of our baptism promise, oaths and uh, and vows again the same, membership vows. Yeah, you know, the name of the of the book that we use is "What did I prom? What did I say when I joined the church?" What? And people skip off, and they they stop coming to church, or they find another church, they find any number of reasons. Church offices, elders, deacons, those are not our ideas. God has promised to reveal the glory and the goodness of his government in those in that way. Are they filled with perfect men? No. But when you review the, uh, the duties of inferiors to superiors and the duties of superiors to inferiors, you're going to see what is required that we esteem the, uh, the, the weight, the appropriate weight that God places in our, in our respective duties. Church discipline, we, we mustn't, you know, we mustn't rage. Oh, no, the elders are coming after me. Oh, I got another pastoral visit. He might, ask, he might ask some questions. I don't, I'll just lie. I don't want him probing. All right. His ordinances, his word, intentional ignorance of it. Now, look, I'm not saying that you have to go home every hour, every week, an hour of every day and study the Word of God. But it, you, ought to really, you ought to really know it. And you ought to be able to pray by the time you retire this life, I think, you need, to, you need to be able to pray comparable, if not better, than Mary or Elizabeth. They had the Holy Spirit. But you have the greater revelation than Mary or Elizabeth. You ought to be able to pray like that and she was 15 years old or so. Okay? Intentional ignorance of, this, of, the, of the scriptures because we don't have time to read it. We don't have time to, to memorize it. We, we don't have time to um, meditate. The Puritan said if you're not meditating on scripture, you're not going to make any progress in life. None. Twisting its meaning, whether intentionally or not, and that's done frequently. Bible jokes. Trugal jesting, that's a sacred thing. The Lord sealed his word with his own blood, and we treat it as if it's a common thing. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. His works, again, this is a very broad commandment. Um, what are the works of God? Well, there's ad intra and then there's ad extra. There are intra-Trinitarian uh, works Father, Son, and Holy Spirit agreeing on election, predestination, the council of peace, or the covenant of redemption, all these things. You know, Armenians and, and others look on this and they, ah, it's not, that's not scriptural. And they make light of these things. Well, okay, it's one thing to disagree. You can disagree. We all have disagreed. We have to disagree because theology and theology, there's disputation. But you can't rant. And you can't mock. I've seen it from renowned theologians. Uh, Let's see, I think I'll, I think I love, no, not him, this one, I'll I'll elect this one. As if we understand, as if God had a process, like we do, of elimination in linear thought as to his election. The election is, is of eternity in the mind of God. He doesn't process things that we do. We are not like God. And we profane God and his name when we make light of such mysteries as election and predestination. Argue it from the scriptures, but have holy reverence for people who fear the Lord and his mystery. If we can't understand something, let's just, let's just be honest. we don't understand something in the Bible, or if we don't understand something about the Lord's nature, we are prone to either fear it, ignore it, or mock it. That's what sinners do. Election, predestination, all the covenant of grace, the covenant of works, I don't read that, you know. Let's, let's, let's listen and learn. I, I get the feeling more and more these years, people come to church to teach the preacher something. They know much more than the preacher. It's unbelievable how much people know these days. They put the effect, they've got to learn. If the best the best disciples, the ones who really know a lot, are still learning, and they're learning at a great pace. So let's all be humble about all these things. Intraternitarian, and then trinitarian Things about creation, ab- abusing the creation. We can talk about the whole green movement here if we want. You can't go around kicking dogs. Not that they have rights. It's that God made this creature, and he loves it, and he's caring for this creature, and you hate this creature. What, what is wrong with you? Read Paralandra, the second book of, of C.S. Lewis in the Space Trilogy. It, it's a demonic person who goes around tearing the leaves off of trees and, and stomping on creatures. and It's just destruction. Creation. Love the creation, care for the creation. The creation groans for its deliverance. To abuse creation in any way is a violation of the third commandment. Providence. Here's, okay, This, this, this is huge. I mean, you fall and you hurt your knee, and out comes something that's not in your hymn book, okay? Well, the Lord decreed that. There's a reason why you fell. And if you object, and if you object very strongly, and if you curse... You're blaspheming God's name. That's the problem with saying all kinds of four-letter words, five letters, whatever, how many letters, is that what you're saying, it's a huge and violent protest about what God has certainly decreed in your providence. and You don't like it, and it's got, it's got, to, it's got to be maligned. Okay? All of the doctrines of redemption or not diligently using the means of redemption is a violation of the third commandment. Uh, all right, you, I think you get uh, you get the pictures. Again, I'll, I'll just I just mention that all of God's creatures reveal something of God, and must be regarded uh, with equity. That's what the that's what that's what this uh, teaching. Okay, the third commandment also forbids specific thoughts, words, deeds from you. It's not merely outward. Behavior and words and sounds, and that's primarily why we say about clipped oaths. What, 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 what are you, what are you churning? What are you churning about? What are you, or have you lost your peace? Are you now malcontented that you're expressing these sounds? What do these sounds mean? Profaning all of these things, treating sacred things especially as common things, or as meaningless things. Uh, when we ignore the arrangement that God has for children in the covenant, not only do we deprive them of their right. Uh, by the way, if you don't have infant baptism in, in a church, the, church the, the children are still federally holy. The Lord's not going to remove His protection simply because you don't understand the covenant principle. All right, You may not appropriate uh, that to your comfort, but that, that's, that's, not, that's to your loss. That's, that's not, that's not going to erode the God, God's truth. The, the children in a, in a Christian home are holy. And, he's, and, he, and the Lord has sanctified them. They ought not to be treated as, as if they were ordinary children. You, you should regard them as holy. That is to say you can pray with them and you can pray for them in a way that you do not do with all the children in the world. No, they're special. They have the name of God by baptism, 1 Corinthians 7, inappropriately so. Abusing all these things, improperly or irreverently using, um, not giving priority to the sacred. Sacred things must be regarded in a secular society, an increasingly secular, we're not completely secularized, there are still religion. I'll get to another point on that in a a minute. But in in an increasingly technological, materialistic, and secular society, sacred things suffer. Because that's not primarily what people are talking about. During the Middle Ages, it was just the opposite. There was so much religion as, as to have no no science whatsoever, and so everything became superstitious and everything became oh, all source of miracles. You see that statue, I walked by the park and the statue was crying. Oh, that's a miracle. I think, uh, I think that means that your baby's going to be delivered from, uh, you know, from the pox. Today we just have the opposite. We have the opposite. Sacred things remain sacred. And we don't make things sacred. We don't have any business in the church baptizing things and making them sacred if God does not regard them as sacred. All right, that's another idea. I'll I'll, I'll talk to you later if you don't know what I mean by that. In general, then, creation, abusing and disdaining any man, commandments 5 through 10, are built in here to the third commandment because man is in his image. It's a a defaced image of God. He lacks righteousness. Original righteousness is not ours anymore. We have inadequate knowledge. We, we, we really display God very poorly. Nevertheless, by hating, abusing, disdaining man, we break the third commandment. See how see how this is still in the first table of the 10, and yet it relates back. And all of the commandments are, as it were, wool fibers that interlock. We got little hooks, and The little lamb. F- uh, wool fibers have little hooks, and they, that's why it's so tough to tear through wool. Uh, special mention the environment. Uh, some of you I know are, are are expert in this whole thing, keeping the environment clean, uh, concerned for the environment and harming creatures, especially the uh, man. Now this doesn't mean that man can't kill uh, a fish and eat him, uh, but that has to be explained by other contexts. God gives certain liberties uh, if, it's, uh, if that fish is to be uh, killed and uh, in using it properly, uh, the fish is then sanctified at prayer at the table. And and, and the word of thanksgiving makes a trite thing, and like a speckled trout, something that can be received to God's glory. We do the same thing, by the way, here in the Lord's table. This is bread. This is wine. Any specks has this stuff, right? But when, the, when we pray that the Lord distinguish it for the table, now we now affirm the holy use of a common thing. It becomes sacred. We cannot profane it. It is now a means of grace. And that speckled child on your plate, once given thanks, that is consecrated to the Lord and for the preser- uh, preservation and upkeeping of His temple, that is your body. Okay. Now, in considering the sacredness of all of Revelation, we have to be careful, because you might you might think, well, then everything, if the environment has to be regarded as God's work, then everything is sacred. But you have to be careful here. What, what we're saying here is that all things that recall God's glory in some fashion are comparable to God and remind us of God, and you have to be treated. But that doesn't mean that all things are sacred. What it means is that all things are sacred when you enjoy all things created in Christ as regarding the Creator and His reverence. But if you take in anything that is of creation of God, and you don't do it for His glory as in His presence and enjoying it as His creature, giving Him uh, praise for your delight in whatever is before you, you're already abusing it. Nothing is created for its own, its own purposes. All things are created for God, and you who are spiritual should regard that. It's a spiritual exercise. You need to. It's not automatic. You have to keep it in your, in mind all the time, bringing every thought in captivity to God. That's how Paul says it. Every thought captive to God. Whether you eat, you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's the exercise. That's discipline, and that's what disciples do. Disciples do discipline. Okay. And all creation is included here in abuse, and even your own person. If you have a crummy diet, knock it off. Get an improved diet. Are you exercising, taking care? Are you sleeping enough? Are you resting? Is it all work? Are you taking, you know, like your Apple Watch, you know, take, a, take a breath, deep breaths. My watch says take deep breaths. Take care of your bodies. This commandment, then rightly understood, is exceedingly broad. What what it means is that we need to be aware of that teaching and confess it. Otherwise, there's no repentance according to this commandment. And we're operating as if we don't have any spiritual insight as to how God is revealing himself, his titles, his his attributes, his works, his, uh, his ordinances, his word. In other words, we're behaving like a brute, like a brute creature, rather than a reasonable disciple. Now, all the more meaning here, all the more emphasis, and uh, reason to obey is that, that Jehovah will not acquit; he will not, he will hold all who abuse His name guilty. All who profane His name, will, he will hold as guilty. Now, what this does not mean is that this is an unforgivable sin. The, the wonderful thing about the, the, the redemption that we have in Christ and the covenant of grace is that if we truly engage with God and His will and we see ourselves as sinners in any department, any one of these heads of Ten Commandments, and if we see ourselves as truly profane and, and, falling, and failing the glory of God, and if we confess and turn even with just one Commandment. The Lord is gracious and merciful, full, full of kindness to us, and He will forgive us, and and carry us up to His bosom, as if we confessed all our sins. You know, our sins are as the hairs of our head; they outnumber our hairs of our head. Says David, "We're not going to have time to confess all our sins, but my friends, we owe God our best effort to know how to please Him, and if we're walking around as mere..." Uh, Chris, uh, uh, creatures and not as sanctified saints. We do not do Him glory or worship. Alright? It's not an unforgivable sin that He holds us uh, guilty. Who, uh, he will not hold us guiltless who takes His name in vain. That's not what's being said. Uh, now, although men blaspheme God with impunity in this world and famously and are rewarded, Our movies are, are scripted for actors to intentionally blaspheme God's name. Okay, this is by design. Because people, fleshly people, sinners, they like sin. And they like to profane the Lord's name. But we who love him should be hurt. It grieves the Holy Spirit and it should grieve us. All right? But men blaspheme God with impunity and go... Unpunished. This is not just. It used to be in Christian nations, the civil magistrate would intervene. Blasphemy laws were severe. Of course, in the Jewish state, it was a capital offense. In the church, the church, the church would place you under discipline. Why? Because you have broken the third commandment with great, with great ferocity. All right. Men excuse themselves in the breach of the third commandment because it's so very common. Again, because it's so very exceedingly broad and deep, it's going to be easy for sinners to, to break. And so it's a very common thing. And so people say, oh, well, I mean, come on. If you're gonna, are we going to keep score here? No, we're not going to keep score. But we, do, we, we must be serious about, about growth and sanctification and holiness, without which no one will see God. And, unless, and, and, and especially if you know it and have been addressed, and you ought not to say that. Okay? You, ought not to, you know that cutting loose like that is wrong. Right? Unless confessed and repented of, God holds you guilty. Now, I like, I like this word, it suits me well, and I'm not going to change. Now, that's where you're sitting with a high hand if you're a Christian, and I believe, you know, real Christians, although they have the Holy Spirit, they they may be weak, they, they may, be, may be deceived, they might be disciplined by the Lord. Uh, people who are spiritually weak or waning. But here you have to examine yourself as to all the above, okay? Uh, again, blasphemy was an, a capital offense, punishable by death in Israel, stoning. And it, it was a uh, a capital crime in the early colonies here in America. It's no light sin uh, in the New Testament. And I'll just remind you that uh, you will be judged by your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. Beware of what you're saying. Ask yourself, how does this relate to God? How does this relate to His essence? How does it relate to His works? What does it have to do with His revelation? Am I saying, what am I saying of myself as God's creature, God's sanctified and redeemed and regenerate creature, and using such language? Okay. Give no offense. Correct this fault. Learn to correct it in yourself, and here you can be I I don't know, you need to be aggressive in, 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 in correcting this in yourself, but in others you you correct it mildly and, and, and patiently, especially your children. They're going to pick it up because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if it's in our, uh, our classroom books anymore, in grade school. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let me conclude. God, Jehovah is holy. All that relates to him and to the revelation of his person, of his will, of his attributes, his works must never be profaned, or regarded as something common. All right. Now, the more we give ourselves to meditation and uh, regarding our citizenship in heaven, our conversation with God is in heaven, the communion with God the Father, Holy Spirit, with our. our our thoughts of Holy Trinity and that sacred and holy society and our place relating to it, the more we will grow in the sense of what is sacred. So we need to be returning to that sweet fellowship that, that distinguishes in every way, in every way, that God is completely different from the creation, which is now subject to shame, to entropy, Uh, to corruption and vanity. Now on that line, we've got good theologians that warn us about philosophical movements that are kind of as a backlash to uh, a uh, homogeneous secularism, and and that is uh, 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 the doctrine of spiritual oneness. That God is one, and all things in composition are God. And so at that point, uh, it, it seems so close to what we're saying here. We're saying, well, now all of God, everything around us is sacred. But, but the problem is, if everything is sacred, my friends, not pertaining to God, but, because, but per se, if the thing itself is all sacred, then there's nothing sacred because nothing is set apart. Everything is related to everything else and it's, everything's all together, and so there's nothing sacred. But the, the oneness doctrine is a killer. It kills the creature because he's not God, and it kills God because he's not the creature. So be careful with that. That is not spirituality, and that is the opposite of true spirituality. You you have to learn how to give appropriate weight and glory to all things. I was downtown, the final four, and everyone's all excited about Basketball, people lose their heads in these. I, look, I, 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 it's exciting to go to a ball game. I, I remember being in a rupp arena up there. Just, I mean, the, it's amazing—the color and the, the athletes—and and yes, you can cheer and all that. But that's fine. But are you are you are you placing inordinate glory in that event? and you you seem to not be able to relate to anything good, You, you go home from the services of the Lord's worship and you have nothing that captures your imagination, that has enraptured you, that has held you in its beauty and its goodness. What kind of deadness is that? Alive to basketball, dead to Christ. So we must give appropriate glory Prioritize, prioritize things. Don't lose your head. Think. Now, my friends, we have a communion table. And this is not an ordinary thing. Ordinary people are not welcome here by the Lord. And we can't, we can't welcome just anybody here. We have to make sure that when one comes here, they are placing the right weight of glory on the God who is majestic and high and lofty, but he has bowed, he has, he has humbled himself to come and meet with us, mere creatures, and not only creatures, but, but sinful creatures that need his care, that need to be forgiven, that need to be groomed and washed, and yet he loves us. And that, my friends, if we if If we uphold the doctrine of of the sacredness of these things, the Lord's table will not be considered trite. Our prayers will not be considered trite. Nothing of what we do here will be considered trite. Everything will have the appropriate glory. Your soul will know it. It will be refreshed. It's food because it's transcendent. And it's right because you've kept, by God's grace, you've kept the third commandment. He's pleased with that. Will the elders please come forward. This is quite a narrow space here. <laughs> I'm glad I've lost weight, then. I've, I've, in a sense, fenced the table. I, I, think, I think you must realize that uh, if you are baptized, if you've made profession of faith, you're in good standing in the church. This table is for you. It's not a Presbyterian table. The Lord welcomes all. Uh, but I will... Read the words of institution and we will ask the Lord to take common elements and for his name's sake at the table, as he he has called us and instructed to do, make a difference that we might, our souls might enjoy the presence of God, the true and living spiritual presence of Christ. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, uh, uh, this is an amazing thing. You, this is a prophetic commonwealth, and you saints are prophets in this commonwealth. And you are proclaiming, you are, this is a declaration. And this is your, this is your good duty. Whoever ther, uh, therefore drinks and eats uh, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, which is holy... Eats and drinks judgment on himself because he breaks the third commandment. And that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, let me just say if we just stop and say, Well, no, we're sinners, but God has given us an entrusting himself to us mm-hmm. and, be, and be grateful, okay, we judge them. if we do that, that's our mind, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with a profane world. With a profane world. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your gifts are simple, but in the hands of our mediator, they become for us food for our soul because it is you, Lord, your very body and blood spiritually being administered to us. So feed us Christ that we might uh, partake of him truly, and that by partaking we might have life and enjoy him in every way. We pray and we give thanks, as this is honorable, as we keep your name holy in Christ. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. The Lord joined his friends in the upper room, a table, the night of his great passion, and he took bread and he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this bread is my body, and my body is broken for you. You take, and uh, when eating, you remember me.